1: Welcome, welcome. We are on our second big Zoom call, four and a half years of doing radio, and here we are. COVID launched us as a visual experience, too. And (laughs) I have to say, we were so excited. We were looking for someone that looked exactly like Jack Canfield as a twin, and we found John Spence. So this is really exciting. They have been separated for quite some time, bringing them actually together on Amplified. So we want to bring him (laughs) in right away. Uh, Andrea, how are you doing?
2: I am doing absolutely wonderful, and I am super excited to have John on. I had a good couple laughs with him this weekend, and uh, I really appreciate that he took a, a break from waxing his airplane this morning to be with us. Uh, <laughs> John Spence is a rec- is recognized as one of the top business thought leaders in the world and in leadership development. He really works with the experts, and he was named by American Management Association as one of the top. 50 American leaders to watch, along with Sergey Brin and Larry Page of Google and Jeff Bezos of Amazon. And as a consultant and a coach to organizations worldwide, from startups to Fortune 10, he's dedicated to helping people and businesses be more successful by making the very complex absolutely and awesomely simple. So I'm so excited because he's going to now make this show so simple for us. It's going to be cake. Aren't you excited about that?
1: (laughs) Thank you, Andrea. Well, I am very excited to have you on the show, especially after seeing you some five years ago, getting your book and actually one of the very first people I I took a picture of with a cute smiling card. And I remember. Really? <laughs> yeah, no. that was yeah. that was right around the time Barry had given me the cards. I was at Fred Diamond's event. That was the symposium for leadership. What was that? Do you remember
3: what it was called exactly?
1: No, okay. I, I, it was it was it was a sales it was sales leadership, if I recall. Okay. And we, yeah, it was
3: uh, at seventy or eighty presentations a year. They can be uh, sort of run together.
1: Yeah, but you told me that you'd never forget that particular one. So that meant a lot to me. I do remember the picture. <laughs> Okay, well, it was quite a cast of uh, talent on the stage, that's for sure, and yeah. uh, and your your presentation was extremely um, interesting, and it caused me to want to follow you, and here we are five years later. COVID allows us to reconnect.
3: Yeah, that was Mark Hunter, uh, Anthony DiNarino, Jed Blunt, Mike Weinberg, uh, me. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and
1: and all five of you are in several Keep Smiling books as a result of it. <laughs> Um, so I want to thank, actually, Fred Diamond for making that possible because he, you know, people like him bring communities together. They also uh, cause the gold nuggets to enter our, our, uh, our mindset and our ability to actually change what we're doing so we can get different results. So big uh, kudos and shout out to Fred Diamond for that particular event. I wanted to uh, obviously start with your journey. I, uh, before the show, we were all wearing these uh, keep smiling masks. But uh, <laughs> I found out you only have to wear them when you leave the house. you don't need to wear them. That's so a good idea yeah. it was yeah. we had
3: it over here for a little while that was going <laughs> it looked best.
1: Well that was what I was I, that's when I get up at night now I have that it keeps it really dark. <laughs>
2: oh, you just push it up that's a good that's a good move.
1: <laughs> so I think one of the most important things technology for is that uh, your haircut has probably been one of your biggest reasons that you become successful and oh, I, uh,
3: that and I look a little bit like you other than that, I don't think I've got <laughs> much going for me.
1: Well, I think you have, I think you've been on four of the covers. Uh, So this is a Keep Smiling Bald. He has the corner pocket there. He seems to to like this corner pocket. We're going to have to move you around a little more, John. There's another one. Uh, And then this one, you're in the book. You're not on the cover. And then uh, again, I don't
2: have him behind me.
1: Yeah. So we, yeah. I I should have gone and put a vest on.
3: It would have been better.
1: You know what? I do have you. You're right up here. I don't know if you can see. You're, you're oh, in this look. particular one, too. So you're in the banner, too. So <laughs> I, I was inspired by your book. I was inspired by your leadership. I was inspired by your message, generally speaking. Uh, the, the strategy, the strategic thinking, I think, is such an important skill set to adopt. But before we go into your book and all the wonderful nuggets you're going to give people, um, first of all, how are you doing given the COVID experience?
3: Doing very well. Doing very well. Uh, I knew that our industry, uh, professional speaking, consulting, executive coaching was headed towards this in maybe six years. Uh, it just got down to six, six days. <laughs> so uh, luckily we were able to pivot pretty quickly. Uh, but as someone that usually spends 200, 220 days a year on the road, it's been, I've now been in one city, the longest I've ever been in a city since I graduated from college. Uh, I used to travel a minimum of once every 14 to 21 days. So 20 days is the longest I'd ever been in a city since 1989. And this has broken all those records and will continue to do that. It feels weird, but it's nice to be home for a while.
1: Well, for those of you, uh, for those of us and the people listening that may still have a gap are in the pivot, uh, would you like to share really quickly how one approaches a pivot and what you actually
3: did? Yeah, um, yeah. What we did is immediately we moved to doing uh, town halls in the very first week or two or a couple weeks for our clients, helping their senior management team sort of change the way they look at their business and prepare. One of the big areas we've been focused on a lot, which is not a major area of expertise for me, we, we do some stuff on strategic thinking and business, but I've also been talking quite a bit about the emotional roller coaster that employees go through. It's basically a grieving cycle. And helping senior leaders or leaders across any organization cope with the emotional side of the business, which is not one that we're all used to dealing with all the time.
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, with all these keep smiling books, I just want to say the one thing that's missing is your name right here. So (laughs) I, I had shared with you that you're an inspiration to me, but your message actually is something we'd like to push out and amplify during National Keep Smiling Week, and I just want to say that right out of the gate, I mean a bald leader who has such great heart and causes so many smiles in the world. You're the perfect person to actually uh, amplify and I just want I can't I don't know if today. anyone would want to see my face anymore there.
3: <laughs>
1: well let's talk about your journey. I am always interested uh when you go back in time when things happened that actually caused you to become who you are today. And take as much time as you can. It's interesting.
3: I hadn't thought from a leadership standpoint, I hadn't thought of this until about four or five years ago. But I remember in high school, I was a pretty good football player, you know, not going to pros or anything. I was pretty good, but I was about this size. So I was always the last guy in laps, the last guy in sprints, me and the other linemen, uh, you know, sort of dragging our butts in behind everybody else. And my coach came to me and said, uh, I'm going to make you captain of the team. Uh, You know, I was was a fairly good leader. He said, the only problem is you have to come in in the top five on all sprints and all laps from now on. And uh, I had never been in the top 20. (laughs) And the next day I came in number three and everything. And I realized I had it in me the whole time. But when he said the rest of the team is going to be watching you, Uh, you have to set an example. You have to set an example for them, for the school, for, for everybody. If I'm going to make you a team captain, you have to be a leader. And that was the time that I realized I had it, I just wasn't using it. And then there were lots of other things, but that was sort of the aha moment for me when I said, I can be out front, I don't have to come and last anymore.
1: And talk about your childhood a little more. Where were you born? Um, What was it like?
3: I was born in uh, Miami, Florida, grew up in a very wealthy family, went to a prep school. And when I graduated from high school, I had real good grades and good SATs and everything, got accepted to a bunch of different colleges. Then I went on to the University of Miami, down in Miami, Florida, because it was close to my boat and my girlfriend, which is not really why you should choose college which is why I probably failed out three semesters later with a 1.6 GPA. Uh, but yeah, well, it, it, it gets worse. You hard to get that uh, low. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, no, all my friends had a 0. 0.1, a 0. 0.9. I had the highest GPA of all my friends. I was the academic stud of my group at a 1.6.
1: So there is uh, so there is no truth that the five people you hang around with the most, you'll become an average of that product. You were way above them.
3: Yeah, well, I was the <laughs> one that brought the average up just slightly. But it was worse because my father was one of the top alumni ever to graduate from the University of Miami. Uh, he was on the board of directors the year I got kicked out, and there was part of the law school named after him. So you really got to mess up to get kicked out of a college where there's a building named after your family. That is uh, awesome. But I was able to turn it around. I ended up, uh, after some twists and turns, graduating in the top three in the United States, and my major from the University of Florida, and uh, got hired from there directly to go to work for the Rockefellers. So uh, I was able to turn it around, and part of it, and you've said it great, most important thing I've ever learned, you become what you focus on and like the people you spend time with. And what was completely different when I went to the University of Florida is I focused on having fun while keeping straight A's, and I surrounded myself with very bright people where I was the lowest of the average, and uh, we all, you know, we made an agreement that we would all make sure we graduated with good grades, and we graduated number one through six out of our college at the university.
1: I remember you sharing when you spoke uh, how many books you had read to become an expert in your area, and they, how often you read books too. I, if I recall, it was like a couple of books a week.
3: I read about 100 to 120 business books a year, and it it average. You know, it depends on if I'm traveling or what I've got, but I'm still keeping five books, four books a week, more or less. Okay, uh, and and a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and all those other things. You know, videos and interviews, trying to learn as much as I can.
1: You could almost make a book about the books you've read.
3: Uh, yeah, I could easily be a pretty big book, though.
1: Well, uh, I mean, if you just said like the top fifty books to read and what I got out of those fifty,
3: okay. I have a list on the. I have a list of the top one hundred. Okay. Uh, on my website, but uh, you know the interesting thing and the reason I read so many books. People say, you know, don't they get redundant? I go, yeah, that's absolutely fantastic because it's that pattern that I see in book after book after book after book. That allows me to look through and say, hey, I I read 150 books on this topic from the top authors in the world. And uh, they all basically say the same five or six things. So that pattern is probably something worth learning.
1: So, like, I'm sure one thing that's very in common is don't have focus, don't have integrity, don't have clear and compelling communication, right? Do not have... Um, Yeah, don't tell the truth.
3: (laughs) That's that's the top one.
1: Okay, so your book um, goes into vision as a first chapter, vision, vision. And I guess the big question a lot of people probably have is why you call it vision, 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 vision.
3: (laughs) Well, here's the interesting thing now is that's changed. You know, a lot of the stuff that's in my book is fundamental. uh, And just about running a great business, it never changes. However, we've got so much change right now that the 20-year vision that a lot of people had for their organization is gone. Mm. Uh, So a lot of companies I'm working with, I ask them, you know, how far out can you plan a month, two months? And the vision of where they want to take the organization is completely up in the air right now because there's no way to know what things are going to look like a year or two or three years from now. So although it was number one in my book, if I were to go back and rewrite it now, actually I'm doing some videos on this that people are going to have to spend some time going back and revisiting their vision, mission, values to keep their organizations on track.
1: I have a good sequel. <laughs> awesomely, awesomely simpler. We, <laughs> it would be the new version of it. How about that?
3: It would be, uh, I don't know if I could d- get too much simpler than what's in there. But.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you about uh, some books you may have read early on that uh, caused you to either, one, be an avid business reader, and what other books you may have read that uh, defined who you became?
3: Well, it's uh, the very first business book I read, uh, when I when I got to the Rockefeller Foundation, I was about 23 and I was named CEO of the uh, foundation. I was at uh, International Foundation Projects, 20 countries around the world when I was 26. Hmm. And I was, to say the least, I was in way over my head running a multinational company. And uh, I had a great mentor who gave me a book every Monday and I had to make a book report every Friday. And the very first business book I ever wrote was In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters. And I was too naive to know that you don't just take a book and implement everything in it immediately. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> the organization did well. It grew. Uh, so, I, you know, that was one of the things that hooked me on. I don't have the answers, but if I read all these books, I can at least get information that will help me get to the answers. Uh, so, In Search of Excellence was a big one. I mean, Fern Harnish writes a lot of great stuff on scaling up. Uh, anything Joe Calloway writes is spectacular. So there's a couple authors that I follow very carefully. Uh, Tom Morse, who wrote a book called true success. Absolutely. One of my favorite books of all time, but it's hard to pick it. My, you don't see it in here, but my, I've got about 2,800 books in my office here. So it's me, uh, some cameras and 3000 of my favorite books.
1: (laughs) And do you do podcasts as well?
3: I don't do podcasts. No, I'm, I'm starting to do a lot more video work like this and I've always done Uh, Video work for my clients. Uh, I do a lot. I've been doing a lot of virtual training for my clients for probably five years, maybe longer. But uh, it's I've got four sound stages in my office. Hang on. Let me see if I can do this without messing everything up too bad. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Well, you
2: know, I I actually can do that, see?
3: (laughs) So that's what the room looks like. Oh, cool. So I've got four of these in in here so I can do this sort of stuff whenever people need me to.
1: That's awesome. So I imagine with your travels, uh, first of all, how did that change your life? And did you get to meet some of the authors uh, that you're reading about? Oh,
3: wow. Yeah, I got, well, I'll tell you the quick story. I got got, um, stuck on a, not stuck, but I got put on first class on a flight to Singapore next to Tom Peter's about halfway through this ordeal. And we were chatting and he said, so what do you want to do? And I said, basically, I want to do what you do. And I'm sure he hears that, I hear it all the time. And he's like, good luck with that, (laughs) whatever. Two years ago, there's a thing called the Thinker's 50. It happens every two years. Uh, The top 50 business thinkers in the world. And I was nominated uh, in the top eight for one of their special awards. And sitting next to me that evening was Tom Peters, who was getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. And I reminded him of it, and I said, I caught you. <laughs> and he signed a book to me that said, congratulations, you caught me. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've had the tremendous pleasure of meeting a lot of the authors, folks that I like, Tom Peters. I grew up reading uh, my contemporaries, and uh, and a lot of months so I became friends with by just via email. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was good friends with Jack Daly for probably 10 years before we ever met we happen to both be given a speech in Australia. That's the other neat thing about the travel is I have, I have friends all over the world, uh, which allows me to also keep my hand in business around the world and know what's going on in all the different places.
1: Well, uh, Tom Peters in particular, what were the nuggets that you grabbed from him that you applied to your life?
3: Management by walking around, go see your people, um, make things simple, uh, make them as clear and simple as easy as possible, be invaluable to your customer. Another thing uh, that Joe Calloway talks about you a know, be so good, they can't ignore you. Be indispensable. Uh, another one they call a category of one. Another big thing I learned from uh, Tom is Me, Inc. That basically you don't work for anybody else. Even if you work at a company, you run your own one person, you know, consultancy firm called Me, Inc. And you have to invest in that firm and grow that firm and make it Such a great business that the company you work for wants to continue to hire you and and have you as an employee or as a consultant or speaker, what I do. That you're so good at what you do that people you know see you as a trusted advisor, want you part of their team. And when you change that mindset of I'm an employee to I'm the CEO of me Inc. and treating it as your own business, it changes pretty dramatically.
1: Well, you'd mentioned that you have a list of uh, top 100 books. Where is Uh, that list located? Can you tell? It's on my website.
3: Uh, johnspence.com. I think, I believe it's at the bottom of the page.
1: How'd you come up with that domain? It's pretty crazy.
3: (laughs) Sheer genius. Unbelievable creativity. Just lucky I was, I was young when the internet started and I could get my own name. Isn't that the
1: truth? Man. (laughs) Yeah. We had to get the keep smiling movement. And I thought we were going to have to add a two next to it or something. (laughs) All right.
3: Andrea, do you have a question you'd like to ask?
2: Yeah, uh, two of them. Uh, One is quick. How many countries have you been to?
3: I never counted. Uh, I've been through three passports. So probably 60 or 70. I don't know. (laughs) A lot of them, I don't really count because I fly and I do work and I fly back out. So (laughs) I I don't really count that that as visiting. Yeah, I see the airport, the airport hotel, the airport. (laughs) I don't really consider that being in a country or a city.
2: Yeah, well, I'm below 37, so I still count that. But once I get to you and Ken's level, maybe I'll add it. The other question is, will you will you tell us about a time where, um, you know, you maybe lost your smile? You know, uh, something happened, and how you overcame it to reclaim that smile back?
3: Yeah, uh, the it was a big turning moment in my life after I fell out of college, out of University of Miami. I came here. I live in Gainesville, Florida, where the University of Florida is, and I'll never forget. You know, coming from a wealthy family with privilege, uh, I walked in to register at the University of Florida after being kicked out of the University of Miami, stood in line. I handed the woman behind the counter my transcripts. She looked at him and went, <laughs> <laughs> we don't take people like you. Next. She said that. And uh, I'll never forget when she said next. And I stood there. I'm like, but I want to go to the university. She goes, we don't want you. Next, please step out of line. <laughs> and I remember walking out the registrar's office down the street, sitting on the stairs and crying and realizing I was about to throw my career away, uh, my the dreams I had of my future, all that stuff, and that no one else could fix it. Um, I'd pretty much been kicked out of my family after that, and my friends couldn't fix it, my parents couldn't fix it, and that was the low point that I had to hit that bottom to bounce back up, and that's when I decided I would spend the rest of my life learning everything I humanly could about how to run a successful business, how to have a successful life, how to be a successful person. By the way, if I by whatever definition of success you have. Mine is not money, fame, or power. Mine is more about when your self-concept and your core values are in harmony with your daily actions and behaviors. In other words, you're a person of integrity to your own values. To me, that's successful.
1: Well, we're going to go on a break um, probably in about five minutes or so. Can you address, it sounds like this is a good segue to the Austin Absolutes? Say again? The Austin Absolutes. It's in your book about see, I can uh, reference, yeah, right here.
3: Oh, 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 um, that, well, you'd have to remind me because I haven't read my own book in a while. <laughs> okay,
1: well, Attitude, Understanding, Surpass All Expectations, Trust, Initiative, and Never Be Satisfied. Sounds like you were not satisfied after that, and so that was like <laughs> a really hunger hunger pill. No,
3: it's, it's funny, I haven't read my own book in about seven years.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I during COVID, I have a little extra time. If you can reserve <laughs> an hour a day, I would be happy to read it to you. You know, that's about, uh, that's one of the things I've really gotten a lot of uh, enjoyment out of is that I get to uh, tutor Italian, which I haven't taken in twenty-something years, to my nephew and my son, and I get to read together. So, um, the Yeah, is there a book that you'd recommend for uh, younger kids? I mean, whether it's age six, even to eighteen, that uh, would help a parent. Yeah, uh, it well. would be
3: the. It would be probably high school up. And it's one I mentioned earlier, it's by Tom Morris. It's called True Success. And he was a professor at Notre Dame and he had all the athletes in his class and he realized that they were incredibly well prepared to be successful on the field. Years of training, coaches, practice, everything. They got in the classroom and they had no training whatsoever for that or their life. And he said, let me write a handbook for how to live a happy, balanced, joyful and successful life. He's a philosopher. We're still very close friends. Uh, he's one of America's philosopher laureates, and he's written a bunch of good books, both on business. But if I were there was this, he has the seven C's of success, uh, as C is in the letter, and then true success. And they're two of my very favorite books of all time.
1: And uh, I won't hold you to remembering every one of them, but can you give a couple of them that he helped with the the athletes that helped them? Uh, turn their attention into being successful. I I don't know the athletes myself. You keep asking me questions. I don't know the answer to it. You're making me look bad here.
3: (laughs) He wants
2: to inspire you to read more.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I learned a long time ago. It's not my job to have the answers. I should know my own book, but like we were saying before, I wrote that years ago. I did go back and read it, you know, five or six years ago, maybe seven. And I went, it's not too bad. Luckily, I didn't mess this up too bad. (laughs) So when did you write that book? 2009. And And, uh, I wrote a book before that, uh, leadership, which I never planned to write. One of my clients called and said, "I'd like to buy 500 copies of your book, leadership book." And I got to have him write it, and I'll buy the first 500 copies. So, (laughs) hence, a book was born.
1: (laughs) And you self-published that one.
3: Yeah, self-published that one.
1: And is that available on Amazon?
3: Yeah, it's available on Amazon. It's uh, it's amazing because I sold 40 or 50 thousand copies of it with no advertising and marketing, it's just, it's something I wrote on leadership that I thought was important.
1: Well, John, I'm going to say this, I'm prefacing this first. I know you did not read your book, Leadership, that you wrote, but would you please give a couple of leadership, um, I guess, strategies or tips?
3: Um, well, let me talk about what I think you need to do right now as a leader. Okay. Uh, I think you need to, c- courage is one of the main things that we look at. You know, there's competency, communication, courage, uh, collaboration, again, all in Cs. But from a courageous standpoint, I think right now you need to be courageous enough to be vulnerable, to admit you don't have all the answers. Uh, I got some answers over here. I know these things pretty well. I've got control of this in the company, but this stuff over here, I don't know. So there's this big thing of balancing courage and decisiveness with humility and vulnerability right now. And that's a really tough balancing act. But I think that leaders who try to pretend all courage and decisiveness – don't realize that everybody knows that you're in, you know, we're all working our way through this together and we all need to be humble enough and vulnerable enough to say, I need some help here. I, I, that's why I have you on my team. You're great people. I need help.
1: And how does one, uh, I guess, create the team and attract the team that they want to have to have a successful business?
3: Uh, it, to me, it's, val- I, it's skills, of course, but more values match. As long as someone is competent, can do the work, I'm going to look for somebody that has high integrity, that has the drive I have, that's passionate about the organization I'm running, the people that we serve. So it's much more about attitude and aptitude over just plain IQ and skills. Uh, I want someone that's going to fit great in the culture and that believes in the same things that we believe in and is passionate about the purpose our organization is pursuing. I can teach you a lot of the other stuff. I can't teach you to love your job and love what the company does.
1: So you've written a, a book on leadership that's on Amazon. You've written the book that was holding up. And you said you had written two more, but they're not books yet, right?
3: No, they're e-books. I, they're, uh, you know, I put some stuff up that I just didn't want to mess with uh, go, trying to go back to ma- major publishing house. So I wrote one that's cool called uh, Letters to a CEO. And that is a collection of memos I sent to CEOs I've been coaching around the world. When they ask me a really good question, I don't just answer it. I always send them a, a memo or something. And then the other one is on uh, strategic planning for your life called Strategies for Success.
1: And both all four are available on Amazon? Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to cut to break right now. Andrea, if you'd give a shout out to our
2: sponsors and take us to break. Absolutely. We want to thank our sponsors, The Umbrella Syndicate, The Red Carpet Connection, Voice America Influencer Channel, The Red Carpet Connection, Hit Check, and Big Events USA. And we'll be back after these messages.
0: To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at UmbrellaSyndicate.com. Now back to
1: Amplify. Well, welcome back. And we are excited to have John Spence sharing his wisdom. And we want to make sure we give another shout out to our sponsors, Andrea.
2: Yes, that's to uh, the Umbrella Syndicate, the Red Carpet Connection, Hit Check, Voice America Influencers Channel, and the Keep Smiling Movement. And did I think I left out somebody? Well, we're amplified with Ken Rashawn to start well, remind also, people who course, you're listening awesomely,
1: to. also, <laughs> awesomely simple, too. I mean, we have to address him as a sponsor. <laughs> All right. So, uh, John, I was, I guess, thinking about... How we give the most value to our audience, and obviously they can check out your books, they can visit your website, but people that are hiring you are obviously hiring you to solve a problem. So what is it that uh, you find is the biggest problem holding back businesses from being profitable and sustainable and scalable?
3: So, and it's one that's come back up. Um, during the I'm doing a lot of coaching and helping people with their organizations right now. And if you had asked me years ago what the biggest problem was, it's still a problem, is lack of a vivid, compelling vision and strategy for growth. That's going to be a problem right now because things have changed. So that was a big problem. It's still there. I think the biggest problem I see right now is what I call lack of courageous communication, is... There are a lot you know there are issues there's problems the business might be struggling and I saw this during the Great Recession the leadership team just didn't want to tell everybody they were afraid to be transparent and because of that they didn't get the people that work for them to help them save the company and then the last one which is the biggest problem I've seen for the last five or six years easily is lack of accountability and disciplined execution that people had good plans they had good products they had good services. But they, they weren't implementing those effectively every single day. Uh, so those are the big ones I see right now. I think if you look at a business, there's four areas today with the, with the pandemic going on, four or five areas. Number one is you got to take really good care of your people because your people are the ones that are going to pull you through this. Uh, so, you know, celebrate them, thank them for being on your team, celebrate wins, big and small, take amazing care of your people. Uh, Number two is get closer to your customer than you've ever been before. Uh, Find out their needs, their wants, their fears. How can you help? How can you add value? What can you do to assist your customers? Number three is now is the time to do the best work ever in the history of your company. You've got to position yourself as truly essential to your customers. Indispensable. I said that before. Uh, Then number four is keep your eyes on your financials, but don't freak out. Uh, Sit down, look at them, and make thoughtful decisions before you have to. Figure out, you know, when we cross this threshold, we're going to have to make this tough decision. You know, if these numbers go this way, we're going to have to make this decision because I see folks making knee-jerk decisions right now that are going to impact their businesses for years and years uh, or maybe put them in peril because they hadn't thought it through. And they just, you know, "Ah, we got to do this, fire this, do that, get rid of that client. And it's killing their organizations.
1: So how many businesses do you think have a a clear and compelling uh,
3: vision? I would have said before this, probably 70%. Uh, now, whether it was well communicated or not, that's a different story. I think that your senior leader teams will sit down and think about a vision and they know where they want to go. They talk about it all the time in the strategy and plan. Typically, if you go two levels down in the organization, nobody knows it. Um, so I would say 70%, 80% before this, pre, uh, during pandemic, uh, d- during COVID, probably five percent again because it's changing i i I don't know where my own company will be i look at my I'm, i'm coaching 11 ceos now around the world they have some ideas but nobody that i know of has a really clear vision for where they're going to be a year from now
1: and what is this like a whiteboard exercise that you bring your team in to creatively come up with a new vision
3: well there's there's typically it's the organization that has to create their own vision i might facilitate it But there's two main ways that I assist companies in helping them vision. It's just tools. It's not me. One is what's called a painted picture. And that's when you get a group of people together. Maybe it's just the CEO or the owner, if it's a sole proprietorship, or, you know, you own the company, and you literally try to visually create a picture of what the company will look like a year, three years, five years, whatever it might be. You know, colors, what buildings will you be in, all the things you can visually create. And some of them actually create a picture that they put on the wall of where they want their organization to be. The other one that I'll push companies through is to write an article three years from today that might be in Forbes or Inc. or or Fortune or something like that or the Harvard Business Review about their business. What are they doing? Why are they special? Why are they unique? So I I run them through that process of, really trying to get down granularly of where do we want the company to be? Because if I can visually uh, show it to my folks or I can tell a really good story, then they can see how they will be involved in that story and making that come true. Again, right now it's, it's hard to do that.
1: Okay. So this is going to be a bit self-serving, but I guess it's the best example I can come up with because we have flaws in our vision for our movement. And so we have this big national keep smiling week coming up may 25th to the 31st we have over 100 authors that have shared their exclusive story so their name is by th- by themselves their story only in a book that has basically a 2,000 to 4,000 word dose of hope so it's, it's mm-hmm. how someone overcame the journey so you have all these authors and you're trying to connect the vision not just that you have but you hope everyone has that wrote the book and then you mm-hmm. have um optimistically about 150 photographers that help make these books and then maybe 50 dentists or so that we would like to attract into actually helping us create smiles from two standpoints. One is the physical and the other is the mental. So, so kids that have been abused, we're sending more to the, the mentorship type of Avenue. And then the ones that have actually flaws that don't want to smile because they're too, uh, they they lose uh, their confidence a lot. We want to mm-hmm. send the dentist side. And, and this is all kind of funded on volunteerism. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, the money is you know, to, to make more books and tell more stories more than anything else, but uh, to help cover, I guess, the bare uh, essential cost of getting a photographer to an event, i.e. parking, I guess. So with that little bit of information said, how would you suggest that with that many moving parts that you approach a vision?
3: Here's what I would do. I would, If I were in your place, I'd go to 8 or 10 or 15 of the kids whose lives you've changed uh, on both sides and have them tell their story to everyone that's going to be contributing to the book, how it made a difference in their lives, uh, how it changed the way they think about themselves, how it increased their confidence, how it made them smile. And I think if you get, I, I'm very involved in a charity that helps people with developmental disabilities. And uh, we when we bring in one of those folks to a board meeting and they sit and talk about how we help them, how we serve them, there's not a dry eye in the place. And everybody knows why we do this. So if you introduce them to some of the kids and let the kids tell their stories about how much you've changed their lives, it would be a very clear way for everybody to understand what they're doing this for. And why did you pick that charity? Uh, I, I, Well, it's two reasons. Is uh, My mother uh, had uh, Alzheimer's, very severe Alzheimer's. And uh, it was challenging to watch her go from a very vibrant woman. She was one of the top lady marlin anglers in the world, traveled all over the world. And in the course of about 90 days, she didn't remember who I was. And watching that mental decline uh, scared me personally, but it also, I looked at other people that had uh, developmental disabilities and struggled with that sort of dementia and physical disabilities. And I knew how much I loved my mom and couldn't reach her but I wanted to help her. So I have got involved in trying to help other people who are just, they just want to be as normal as they can. They want to lead a normal life. They want to have friends and uh, they've got challenges. So why not help them get over some of those challenges?
1: Well said and agreed. Um, not sure if you know my story, but I share that that common issue and that's why I met you, John, is I decided to make my life a tribute to my mom because she got Alzheimer's. And I said, you know what, what kind of life am I living that actually makes a difference. And so this is what I came up with. So that was after your DJ days. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Yep.
2: I, I wanted to add to our our mission for um, right now, what, we, what I've been telling people is that um, what we do is uh, we spread health and happiness through um, smiles for mental health and dental health. So we've been pulling more partners on board to provide programs so that we don't have to rewrite or create new programs for people that people can can do and see and do that. So and and it's been really uh, positive. People have been telling us some amazing things. So thank you for reminding me to collect those stories of feedback from everyone because that does make a difference.
3: Well, it's, it's also, that's what I've been with my clients recently, is get your customers to, to tell your company how much they mean to them. And, you know, I've, I've got one client that's an IT, uh, runs a very large IT company, and all their folks are at home working, and it's grueling, and it's all this stuff. But every now and then, they'll get a, a note from somebody that says, hey, you saved our company, you helped us do this, you got this through, through this rough spot. And I'm like, share this back with them so they know when they're sitting up at midnight trying to fix a code for somebody, that there's somebody at the other end that, uh, that they're helping. And this particular one was a legal firm that helped uh, women that were battered women and uh, other people, uh, homeless people, things like that. And they said, had you guys not helped us with our IT, we wouldn't have been able to continue to deliver these services to people in need. That's a classic example of what you do. Everybody there said, got a little bit of extra motivation to say, okay, what I'm doing is important. I'm not just coding and, and you know fixing computers.
2: Nice.
1: And from the standpoint you were talking about earlier with the vision that whether the top know it or two levels down, it, so you're saying you're encouraging that there's almost um, an awareness and visibility of that vision so everyone can see it as often as they yeah. would like?
3: It should be uh, communicated over and over and over again in 50 different ways, <laughs> talking about it, and, and, and again, connecting people to it. You know, this is what you do, and this is how it helps our vision. A big word now, too, that, my, that it doesn't really replace vision is purpose. And especially the younger folks coming into the marketplace, um, they don't just want a paycheck, they want a paycheck, but they want to do something important to make a difference in the world. They want to work for a company that has what I would call an ennobling purpose. That is, so it's not just, I have a job, but I, I'm making a, a important difference to people's lives every day by what I do. Andrea?
2: Oh, I, um, I, I'm reflecting on a thought I had earlier. You know, when you uh, first went into business and started doing this, um, was it more textbook that you knew um, that started you out with what you were reading and knew from school? Or was it that you had this innate ability to be able to run a company? Because that's one of the things that's always kind of eluded me is like, the people who run these organizations, how did they, how did they inherently figure out how all these systems and Departments should work that they could manage them all. They make it up. Okay.
3: You know, it's just, and I'm not being facetious because I have people that call me and go, well, how should we structure our, you know, like any way you want to. I mean, you just whatever works for your company. I mean, there's some structure and there's some, you know, frameworks and things like that. Uh, my degree is in public relations. I, I didn't know anything about business. I'd always been entrepreneurial. I started an advertising firm while I was in college. Um, I've always built little businesses. I've been the owner, CEO of five companies, three of them multinational. Uh, But I learned everything by watching, um, by being curious, asking questions, reading, surrounding myself with mentors, uh, and realizing I don't. You know, early in my career, when I was a consultant, I used to try to prove that I was right. You know, here's my solution. Here's. I realize now I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, You know, there's so much more that I don't understand. So I have ideas and frameworks and things like that. But at the end of the day, um, we're all just making this up as we go along and doing the best job we can. But if you do those things of reading, studying, surround yourself with smart people, being thoughtful, um, I think you, as long as you're really trying to perfect that craft, you learn how to run a business pretty well.
2: Well, well, thank we you, because use... I'm the executive director of the Keep Smiling movement. And <clears> there's <throat> the first time I'm running something. I wrote a $23 million business plan last year. And so it was the first time I'd ever written one. So I decided to go big. So, you know, talking with someone like you gives me the confidence because th- this is a big, a big mission that we're on here. So, Ken, sorry.
1: And uh, you just mentioned purpose, which is another way of saying, finding your why, which is our yeah. second segment of our book. So uh, if, if you'd like, please share how you developed your why and what it is
3: um I, I remember this very uh very clearly uh the first time i woke up in the middle of the night realized i had 50 kids to put through college i don't have any kids but i thought about all the folks that work for me that that i was there to take care of we we had a noble purpose and a good mission but my personal mission was to make sure that everybody that worked for me could take care of their families could send their kids to college uh and now my why is i hate to see companies go out of business When I drive through a small town and I see, you know, for sale signs in the windows, it crushes me because I know that was someone's dream and likely they lost everything they had and the employees lost all their jobs and that ripple effect is horrific. Uh, That's why this, this right now is so hard because there's so many people that ran really good businesses, really good businesses that are out of business by no fault of their own. They were doing everything right. So I've always looked at it and said, business is really not that Complex, hence the name awesomely simple. And I've dedicated myself to going in and helping people take complex things that they thought were overwhelming and they couldn't understand, and say, "No, it's really not that bad. Let's just focus on these three or four or five things." So, my why is to to help keep people employed so they can take care of their families.
1: And what would you say? Since COVID is really a new experience and a challenge, what would you say is the focus of what you should overcome? so that you can actually have a successful business?
3: The biggest thing to overcome right now is inertia, fear, is to, to, to envision a future. It may only be a couple of months, but to believe you can make it through this and to pull your team in tight with you, or if you're a sole proprietor like me, my friends, my mastermind group, the people I surround myself with, and help each other constantly to to figure out ways to grow and to stay, to stay solvent, to strive, I mean, uh, to work hard, not just thrive, but set themselves up for success. So you can't get into depression. Uh, there's a cycle that people go through when they're faced with what they perceive as negative change. And it's the same cycle that people go through when they're grieving the loss of a loved one. Literally the same, you know, we're grieving the loss of our normalcy. Uh, some of us are jobs, some of us are companies. And I'll go quickly through the cycle. It starts with stability, where we were, believe it or not, two months ago. Uh, then it goes to immobilization, where you can't believe this is happening to you. Uh, then it goes to denial, which I think a lot of people are in, is this isn't going to be that bad. It's you know It'll be fine in three or four months. Then it shoots up to anger, which I think we saw in the last three or four days with all the, the uh, what do they call protests that are going on. I think we're starting to see the anger curve. Uh, then it goes into bargaining, basically, please help me this, that, and the other, and trying to bargain with the, with the virus or the government, whatever, and that's not going to work real well with the virus. And then it drops into severe depression, then it goes to testing, and then it goes back to stability. And I think for the most part, most of us are now in the immobilization, denial, or unfortunately spiking to anger. And one of the things people need to work on now is understanding those emotions and letting people have them. And saying these are real for you. Not going, oh, stop it, cut it out, don't think that way, but saying you got it, but let's move through it and get back to testing and stability as quickly as we can.
1: Well, that's the one thing that's probably going to hurt the Key Smiley movement is we're not letting people get angry enough.
3: Explain that for me.
1: Well, <laughs> if we're encouraging people to look at the bright side.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't understand it. Well, my hope is that we go through the like I haven't hit the anger stage. I might, but hopefully we move through it quickly. The key here is to do this cycle very fast if we can. It's that getting caught in the middle for a long time that will take away people's smiles, and they need you badly right now, very badly.
1: Well, um, we believe that the why section of the Keys to Mind book is the commitment to you being consistent, having the integrity to do what you say you're going to do with clients. But the how part of it is the part where it's the social proof. It's showing that you actually know how to create abundance for your clients, uh, that you are able to inspire, and you're able to solve problems. So um, to kind of round out that, that, I guess, conversation, what do you consider your principle how you actually create impact in an organization when they hire you?
3: Curiosity. Curiosity. I, I want to go in and understand what's holding them back. What they could do better and then the most important thing is to get them to to and i don't i don't usually use a word like this co-create the solution Uh, i learned a long time ago as a consultant that it's not my job to have the one right answer it's my job to work very closely and and support and give ideas and input and connect people and introduce them to new ideas but that i have to be a catalyst for them coming up with their own solutions so to me curiosity has become the major, major driving force of how I help other people discover together what they know they need to do. And I give them a lot of advice and input and tools and frameworks, but I don't tell them what to do. I say, let's look at this together and really dig into it together. And together we can figure out what the best thing for your particular organization or, or you as an individual is.
1: Cool. Well, we're gonna go into rapid fire now to get into the trivia side of who John is. And I have to say that since you've read so many books and I am extremely <laughs> excited to know as much as I could about what you've read, it would be like, how do we down- download John? But um, different answer. What would you say one or two books are that changed your life?
3: Uh, the Prophet by Kahlil Gibran, uh, which is a Sufi poet. A lot of people use his poetry in their marriage vows. And I would. All, this is going to be a great one, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice by Dennis Kimbrough. Hadn't heard that
1: one. Congratulations, aren't shocking us. <laughs> we hear think, think and Grow Rich is probably 40%, if not 50% of what people pick as their one book that they want to say or amplify. And I say, that's why I always say, pick two. If, if I know they're a reader, I want them to pick two. All right, Andrea.
3: And I don't look like the kind of guy that would say A Black Choice, uh, but it's Think and Grow Rich. And it's aimed at folks that have a, that are disadvantaged by their skin color or their socioeconomic position or ethnicity or whatever it might be. And it really, when I read it, really says if they can overcome this, I've got every uh, possible uh, what, what I want to say support. You know, I'm I'm the exact poster child for you know the man. <laughs> if they can overcome this, I've got you know all kinds of advantages. I should be able to do it too.
2: Um, I love that you said that because one of the things in our stories, a lot of people are revealing that they were discriminated against because of their color or the shade of their coloring. Uh, So thank you for that. Um, I would like to know a song that gets you jazzed. What amplifies you?
3: Change Your Mind by Sister Hazel. Um, Kim Block and Drew Copeland, the the two singers from that band, are very good friends. And that is a very meaningful uh, song for both my wife and I.
1: I give you mad applause for bringing such unique answers to our audience. Um, how about a movie or two that changed your life, given it's COVID? What would you recommend people watch?
3: Well, Monty Python's flesh, uh, Quest for the Holy Grail, for sure. Well, come on.
1: Come on, John. <laughs> she that's turned me into a new, but I got
3: better. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I like The Matrix. I just, think we, I just think The Matrix is a really interesting movie. Um, that's one of my favorites so I've watched over and over again. Oh, you know what else? I'll say Phenomenon with uh, John oh, Travolta.
1: Yeah, John Travolta with that. that. Oh my cool. gosh. Is- I love that movie. I'm overdue for watching that one. Thank you for that recommendation. I seen a long time. Andrea?
2: If you had a superhero power, what would it be and why? Uh, healing people.
1: Mm. Beautiful. And who is a person, uh, both living and perhaps not living, that you would love to meet?
3: Leonardo da Vinci. Me too. Mm.
1: Okay. Now I'm going to guess that's the one that's not living. Do you have one living that you haven't met that you'd like to meet?
3: Not really. Okay. I mean, maybe Barack Obama, somebody like that. I'm not sure that I maybe mean, there could be a long list, but I never really thought of it.
1: Well, I haven't had anyone in my four years say Da Vinci, if I recall. And Da Vinci is the one I'd want to meet. I mean, he was, he was the master of the Renaissance. Amazing. Yeah.
2: True so, Renaissance. Health, health wellness, yes. art, everything. <laughs>
1: mm. And that's Very why you're, you're drawn to him. Say again? Is that why you're drawn to him?
3: Yeah, because he was such a polymath. He, he was so good in different things and so thoughtful. Um, curiosity. Uh, you know, and uh, this is something that took me a long time to come into. Uh, I, maybe that's why I always loved Da Vinci and never thought about it. But uh, I've read everything I could on that. I've studied him because just, I just think it's fascinating how fascinated he was with everything.
1: Well, and obviously yeah. with how sexy he was being the Mona Lisa. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, Andrea?
2: Um, as a child, what kind of things did you play with? What did, what interested you?
3: Fishing. Love to fish, Spend all my time, still do. It's my favorite hobby. All right. And a quote you live by? You become what you focus on and like the people you spend time with. Well, you were ready for that, weren't you? So it's, my, it's the most important thing I've ever learned.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what haven't you achieved on your bucket list that you're still wanting to do?
1: Uh, this is an easy one. Go to Argentina to go fly fishing. Uh, that was too easy. I, I can't yeah. even believe you waste that question. That was such a given. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, what, what is a, a challenge or a, an accomplishment you want to have in 2020?
3: I, uh, I've lost 80 pounds, 83 pounds, and I'd like to hit the solid 100 mark or below. I'd like to get to 110 down. and I'm doing very, very well. So uh, that's I've been gradually headed that way, and I know it's important for my health. And uh, so that's one challenge I'd like to, to make.
1: All right, Andre. All right, no, let me phrase, I will make. Okay. And, Andre, I have one more question before you go to sponsors, okay? Okay. I want
2: to okay, okay, so time.
1: I think a lot of people are wondering who your favorite bald person is.
3: Favorite bald person? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I guess that would be you.
1: <laughs> no. who Who's a bald person that inspires you? I know. There's a okay. softball, huh? That was a softball. That was a softball. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Andrea's probably going to get a haircut after this because she wants to.
2: <laughs> I, I'm wearing a wig right now. I, I shaved, but I was afraid to show you guys. So.
1: <laughs> Well played. Well played. Well, John, we to we having you on the show. You've been amplified. And uh, I hope you take us up on the opportunity to help you build your foundation uh, for disabled, for Alzheimer's, people with dementia, because this would be a vehicle that would allow us. We believe that when you inspire people and then you have proof that that inspiration actually causes impact, that uh, a lot of good can happen. So. I hope you take us up from that. You're a wonderful man, and we're so happy that you could spend the time with us today. It's been my pleasure, my honor to spend time with both
3: of you. Thank you so
2: much. <laughs> thank
3: you, Andre.
1: <laughs> thank you. you and we
2: want to thank our sponsors. And that's the Umbrella Syndicate, The Red Carpet Connection, Voice America Influencer Channel, Big Events USA, and the Keep Smiling Movement. Well, and
1: an awesomely simple, John Spence. <laughs> thank you, John. <laughs> thank wonderful. you, guys. Thank Have you. a super day. Stay Bye-bye. safe
3: and be strong. Thank you, you
2: too. Keep smiling.